okay, I need your help, folks. Um, I mean, generally, but, but right now, I, I, I need your help. Because um, I had this word all prepared. You know, I even gave you a hint of what it was going to be about, didn't I, a couple of weeks ago. It's going to talk about um, how the whole idea of being spiritual, of being like an eagle flying in the sky, in the heavens, how that touches down in terms of our relationships. Got a great word prepared, honestly. Um, up until yesterday morning, and I was just before the Lord, and I was in the scriptures, my scripture reading for that day, and God really spoke to me. I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, that's great. And I thought it was just for me, and I'd pray about it. But as the day went on, I thought, this is the word I've got to deliver this morning. Um, so I didn't have much time to prepare. Because the thing is, if this word nosedives, which it won't, of course, but if it does, at least I'll be able to say, I've got a really brilliant one that I did have tucked away in the cupboard, you know, and I'll, in, in the storehouse. And maybe I'll draw upon it another time. Just got to make sure it doesn't go past its sell-by date. But um, I will keep it there for another time. So I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of a little bit, Lord, I'm really in need on you. I didn't have as much time to prepare, but I really do feel this is the word of the Lord to us. So help me. And this is what helped, this, this will help me, because you know, I've, I know I've said this before, I've tried this one on you before. Um, you know, you can help the preacher. You can pull the revelation and the word that's in, you can pull it out of him. Okay, one of the things you do is, amen, that's right. Praise God, I love that, well done. So if anything really hits you, like, you see, you can pull the word out of me. That means if I preach badly, it's your fault. Okay, that's... <clears throat> no, but seriously, you can help to pull the word out of me. And I think I've told this story before, but there was a guy who once went and preached in the very church where Martin Luther King had preached. And they were really big into... It was, this was a, uh, I don't know, a black Pentecostal church or something. I don't know, but it was... Well, not Pentecostal, but, but they were into Amen, hallelujah, say it again. And this guy kind of starts preaching. He's a bit nervous because he's in the pulpit that Martin Luther King preached out of. And uh, he starts preaching. And the first thing that he hears uh, out by way of response is, Oh, help him, Lord. Help him, you know. <laughs> I don't mind if you do that to me today as long as afterwards you go, Amen, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So would you turn with me, please, to the book of Genesis. See how far I am into my readings uh, this year. Book of Genesis, chapter 13. And, um, you know, I love, we love the Bible in this church. We love the scripture. As long as we understood it, it's not a rule book. It's not a rule book where we go for our list of do's and don'ts. And it's not a systematic theology, in one sense, where we go to find out what's, what's right and what's wrong. It is a great story. It's a story of God's great big plan of salvation. And, and, and the, it's that big story that shapes our journey. That's how we understand scripture. But I love the fact that it's a big story made of lots of little stories. And those stories can come alive to us at particular times on our journey and really speak to us. And that's what I found as I was reading this. So I want to read this to you and then just share some thoughts on it. And I want to do it in a time for us to go back into worship. I feel we need to do that. And I want to pray for the worship, for Marcus and the worship team before we finish. Okay, so... This is Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, and I'm reading from the uh, New International Version. This is, so Abraham, this is before he's been called Abraham. Okay, so he's still at this moment called Abraham, which means father. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, the house of God. That's what it means. 
to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving around with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and the herders of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain in the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around. From where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is a time of transition. An important time of transition where one time is coming to an end and something new is beginning. And I'm just feeling we're in a time, a significant time of transition. At the beginning of the year, Dan prophesied to us, I'm doing a new thing, it's a new day. Now I believe Dan was spot on there, but to be honest with you, saying God's doing a new thing, it's a new thing, we've all heard that many, many times before. In fact, if, because God's always doing a new thing. In one sense, you know, his mercy, we sang it this morning at the prayer meeting, his mercy, his grace is new every morning. He's always doing a new thing. So if you want to you know, start prophesying, you're probably onto a safe bet if you prophesy that, to be honest with you. you know, God's doing a new thing. But I do believe Dan was absolutely spot on because I believe this is a time of transition. And um, the American poet Emerson, he says, a man is made great not because of his goals, but because of his transitions. A man is made great not because of his goals, but because of his transitions. I think it means, and by the way... It's not greatness as the world understands greatness. We're talking about greatness in the kingdom of God. It's not just about a single man. It's about a whole community. But that aside, there's something in this. The greatness comes not from our goals only, but from our transitions. How we handle transitions is very important to what we become and what we move into. There has to be an ending of something in order for there to be a new beginning. 
And I want to focus mainly this morning on the new beginning. I'm going to say a little bit about the thing that had to end. Because what had happened is Lot and, and Abraham had been traveling together, but they'd gotten to this point where there was, there was tension and conflict and, and things were unsettled and there was quarreling between them. You know, Christians can fight one another sometimes. You know, in fact, actually, during they say the wars of religion in the 16th, 17th century, more people were martyred in that time than all the things against, from Muslims against Christians. Christians can fight one another. In, in Corinth, Paul says they were even fighting when they went to take communion. <laughs> I mean, that's not, not funny, really. But, you know, can, can you imagine that? We come to take communion and we start fighting each other. I mean, but we can fight. I, 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 in fact, I remember... Uh, Years ago, I was in a church where I probably felt the closest I came to being belted by a pastor. I really did. I felt, you know, we got his attention and he was kind of squaring up at me and, you know, and he was a good man. Don't get me wrong, but it just, things went all wrong and we didn't handle it rightly. And, oh, and it, at one point it looked like it was going to belt me. I thought, oh, it's time for me to park company, I think, you know, it's time for me to go. And actually in the same church, um, uh, there was a guy, there was a lovely guy, <laughs> I laugh about this every time I think, there was a lovely guy, I won't say his name, bless him, because he was a, he was a big guy, but he was a gentle giant, most of the time, gentle. He was a gentle giant, lovely guy, but he had a bit of a temper. And I remember once, at Bible Week, remember, some of you will remember the Bible Weeks from years ago, at Bible Week, this was before the days of mobile phones. And, uh, we had a few little, uh, phone boxes around the site. Do you remember that? A little few phone boxes at the site around Bible Week, public phones. Um, some of you might not know what those are, but um, it's before the days of mobile phones. And uh, uh, this guy, he got into a dispute with another brother, with another fellow Christian at the Bible Week, and ended up clocking him one. So uh, I, 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 was, I, was one of, I was just coming into pastoral ministry at the time, and I had to sit down and have a little chat with him. We don't fight each other as Christians, you know. Preferably. But we can. We fight each other. But I love Abraham's heart here. He says, did you see it in um, quarreling and fighting was arising between these two t- uh, uh, tribes, between Abraham's people and Lot's people. And Abraham says in verse 8, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Just let's not fight one another, let's not quarrel, let's not divide in that sense because we're brothers and sisters in Christ you know my friends we're blood relatives don't you, you realize that don't you we're blood relatives we've all been purchased by the same blood we're spirit related for the apostle Paul tells us we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we've all been given the same spirit to drink. It's not you, well, I've got my little Holy Spirit over here. Oh, no, I've got my Holy Spirit. No, it's the one spirit. We're, spirit, we're blood-related and we're spirit-related. Let's not fight. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the resolution had to happen. Now, listen, there are, there are different reasons why conflict and tension arises. And in this particular case, um, it's because the place is too small for them. And often, if we get into small thinking, Alison was reminding us about this last week, when you're in the cave, you're more likely to fight each other. When we're in small in our thinking, we need to enlarge our thinking and see what we've been called to. That's what I'm going to talk about in a moment. That'll help us to stop fighting. And now, by the way, when I talk about 
fighting, there is, um, if, you, if you are serious about building authentic community and building authentic relationships, one thing I can guarantee you is a conflict will sometimes arise. It will. And so you do have to learn, and this is important, we learn godly confrontation and healthy conflict resolution. Some people call that clean fighting. Well, okay. But Abraham's thinking, no dirty fighting. No fighting at the communion table, okay? Let's not fight one another. Let's not quarrel with one another. Because we are brothers. Now, in this case, and I say it's not the same with every case, but in this case, the way that it was resolved is they had to separate. And sometimes, not every time, but sometimes separation... Disconnecting has to happen. And it was the way they resolved it. But you see, Abraham was such a spiritual man. He was such a man of God. Now, he got things wrong. In the previous chapter, he'd done things very wrong. He'd gone into Egypt for the first thing, and he'd gotten his wife into trouble. So he wasn't perfect. But he was a spiritual man. And he knew that the thing to do was to say, look, the land is big enough. The land is big enough for us all. He had a generous heart. He was big-hearted enough because he was a man of God. He said, the land is big enough for us. You see, when we get into thinking, we're it. All that God is doing, it's in us. Then we're, we're onto a loop. Then we'll end up fighting one another. But when you can say, you know what? The kingdom is so much bigger than just what God is doing among us. I love what God is doing among us. But the kingdom is so much bigger. And so Abraham is able to say, go and be blessed. And if people leave us, whether it's... You know, people leave us for uh, just natural reasons. You think of Chris and Jill going on to a new phase of life. And God bless them. We go, be blessed. The land is big enough. The kingdom's over in Manchester too. Yeah. <laughs> and even when people leave us and they tell you, oh, I wish that could have been better. We say, go and be blessed because the land is big enough. We're not focusing on, uh, we're focusing on the land is big enough. Go and be blessed. And so, painfully, sadly... The resolution to this particular conflict was separation. Isn't always, isn't for everyone. It's important to know who we are connected to at any particular time and stage of our journey with God. It's important. It's not good to just part for silly reasons because we're afraid of doing the healthy fighting, if you like, the healthy confrontation and working through relationship problems and doing conflict resolution. That's not a good enough reason to leave. But if we leave, even if people leave for bad reasons, we say go and be blessed. Now the reason, as I say, for Lot's uh, separation was actually initiated by Abram. So we mustn't try to apply every little bit of the story to our own journey. Lot, for example... After separating, went and planted themselves near the near Zohar, and uh, it didn't turn out too well for him. There, and particularly didn't turn out too well for his wife. She got turned into salt, which is which is not good. So, um, you know, but the thing about that is, that's not because he's separated. So I'm not planning people who separate; they're going to get turned to salt. No, no, no. Bless them; the land's big enough. But in his particular case, what was the issue? What the issue was was that he was attracted by the big and the better. Okay, rather than knowing where now. Actually, he was, it was right that he left. It was right that, right that they separated. But he was attracted by the big and the better. So he says, oh, yeah, look at this. Abraham's given me the choice because he's big-hearted. Abraham's given me the choice. He says, look, um, 
What does he say? Look, he says he looked at the plain of Jordan. It was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. He says, well, go there then. But you know, the garden of the Lord and Egypt are very, very different. Egypt in the scripture represents the world. It's a sad thing when you can't tell the difference between the kingdom of God and the world. It's a sad thing when you can't tell the difference between the presence of God and the world. Now that was Lot's problem. Not the fact that he separated from Abraham. That was good. It's when, if you're attracted just by superficial things, that's when you land in trouble. So you have to be careful how you apply the story if you feel God speaking to you through it. Okay. This is what I want to concentrate now, is what happened afterwards. So they've been through this time of tension, quarreling. Some had left them on their journey. And they may have felt, well, as a result of that, there's a lack of some lack of resource now from what we had before. So I want to show you what God did in that particular case, in that time of transition, to bring him into the new thing. You ready? Let's read it again from Genesis 13, verse 14. Straight after, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west, All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. He says right after, what would have been a stressful and painful time for Abraham. He says right after, he says, don't look at the past. Don't look at the problem. Trying to kind of untie it all and say, well, what went wrong? What went wrong? Don't look at the pain that you feel. Don't even look at the personalities involved. They did that in Corinth, didn't you? I follow, didn't they? I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. I follow Peter. Here they could have said, I follow Abraham. I follow Lot. He says, no, don't look at that. Don't look at the past. Don't look at the problems. Don't look at the pain. Don't even look at the personalities. Look up and look around you and see the promises of God. See the purposes of God that each of you were called to be a part of. And my friends, I believe, says the Lord, this is a time to look up and look around at what God is going to do and what God is already doing through you. Look up and look around. You know, Lot had looked around and saw superficial things. Oh, that looks nice land. But here Abraham looks around and he sees the promises of God. He sees the purpose of God. And each of every one of you, if you're born of the Spirit, the Bible, the Bible tells us you are the seed of Abraham. This promise is for you and for me. This promise is for us that we get to inherit the land. And all that God has promised us about building a community that looks like Jesus and loves like Jesus. And through that community, transforming our town, transforming our world. That's what we've been called into. And that's what we need to lift up our eyes and look at in this time. It's interesting, isn't it, that here he says, when you're thinking about it, think of the dust of the ground. Your descendants will be like dust. 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 Alison last week, she was pre- another time when God spoke to Abraham, he says, look up the stars. Don't know about you, I prefer the stars to dust. Look at the dust. Another, at the same time as he said, look at the stars, he also said, look at the sand. But I think of it this way. 
stars are the heavens and the dust is the earth and the purpose that we're about is bringing heaven to earth here's the purpose of God oh yeah we see it we, we read about it we see the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea and it's wonderful and it inspires us we're looking at the stars but oh God it touches ground it touches earth somewhere in the dust in your everyday world in your prison in your hospital ward in your in your in your neighborhood in among melody makers uh, in your classroom it's touching the purposes of god touching the ground in the real world that's why we sit talk about making the love of god real in the real world dust think about dust as it gets everywhere doesn't it and you can't you know it always comes back again just yesterday, in fact, I was doing some dusting and polishing in the house. I know, I know. Thank you, thank you. I know. I know you're impressed, I can see. I'm such a good husband, aren't I? I was doing some... <laughs> I'm not. I was doing some dusting in the house. The thing about dusting, especially televisions and DVD recorders, it always... I mean, five minutes and it seems to be back there. I mean... Generally, I find that about tidying up anyway. You tidy up and after five minutes in our house, I'm on dangerous ground here. That's why I normally, when I'm doing the tidying up and the housework, I do it when everybody's out. So at least I can sit down afterwards and admire it for a little while. But the thing about dust is it keeps coming back and it gets everywhere. A bit like sand, isn't it? Ever been for a picnic on the beach? Afterwards, you think, "Wow, did that get out there? Wow, did that?" You know, and eating, eating your sandwich, you think, oh, that didn't put it on the sand. But the sand, it gets everywhere. You know, the purposes of God are going to get everywhere, and nothing can stop the purposes of God being fulfilled in our earth. And I was reflecting upon this dust and thinking about the stars and the dust, the heavens and the earth, and I thought, "Well, let me tell you about a guy." who I knew many years ago, Alice and I both knew, he was, a, he was a real inspiration to us. I'm not going to mention his name, but some of you may know him, I don't know, but uh, years ago, again, at Bible Weeks, we, we, we met him, and he was a real inspiration to us, and he showed an interest in us when we were just newlyweds, and uh, even before we got married, I think, and he was, he was so inspiring. And he was a guy who had his sights set on the stars. He was a, an inspirational guy, he was going for it in God. Uh, he was he was um, shooting for the stars. He was one of the golden boys of the time, and he was and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean in a good way. He was really inspirational, and we were blessed by him. And we and every Bible week he would check up on us and how we were doing and everything. We were great encouragement. And then after a few years, we lost touch, and and then I, I it was many years had gone by, and then we learned about it again, and, and, and things hadn't turned out the way he maybe would have hoped and we would have thought he you know it would have seemed in one sense he hadn't he hadn't reached the stars that he'd been shooting for i don't know what I, and i may be wrong in this because i never talked to him about it and there's some speculation going on here as i've looked on from a distance but it's like he was set on a trajectory and, and then life hit him uh, in all kinds of ways life hit him and he went through certain hardships and difficulties and um there was, a, there was a brokenness that came. I won't go into details. But at the same time, maybe, maybe I don't know whether he was aspiring to 
church ministry or not, I don't know. But he became a social worker. And through his social work, he was particularly, um, his work was particularly amongst um, young men who had fallen through the system, you know, difficult young men, and, you know, there's probably a, a name for them, I don't know, but a really difficult young man. And he was, a, he was brilliant at his job, the lives that he touched. So much so that, that he became an expert in his field and went to speak at conferences on, on, uh, um, on this whole area. And he's just recently written a book on it. And his, his advice is sought. See, that's the kingdom. Right there. You see, he, he may have been shooting for the stars and somebody might think, well, what went wrong? And I just ended up with a load of dust. But the dust is filled with the kingdom. That, that broke, that seemingly broken life, he's still doing amazing things. And maybe the thing that God had always purposed for him to do. But think of Joseph, you know, he thought, oh, I'm going to be the leader of all my family. Wow, great. And then he, well, he does, he ends up in slavery, he ends up in prison, he ends up, but then he ends up fulfilling his dream in a way that he could never have imagined. And I have never spoken to this guy about it, but I'd love to sit down with him and say, you know what? The dust, <laughs> if you like, of the daily work that you do in your everyday worlds, I see the kingdom in that. It's not just in the stars. It's great to look at the stars at times and be inspired. But look, not, don't only look up, look around you and see the kingdom of God in your everyday world, in what you're doing. You see, the, the, the scientists tell us we're made of stardust, apparently. Well, if they're right, that's fine. They just don't know that God breathed his spirit into us as well. And that makes all the difference. And they can't necessarily put that under a microscope or whatever. But we're made of stardust. Well, so it be. So let it be. We're people of the stars. We're encouraged and inspired by the great calling. But see it at work in the daily life, in the dusty places of your life. And I do believe, here, here actually what Abraham is told by God is to say, I want you to walk into the land. Everywhere, I want you to go into this land and see what I'm doing. Not only what I'm going to do, but what I'm already doing. I want you to put your foot there. I want you to smell the atmosphere. I want you to, I want you to feel it. I want you to go in it and sense what I'm doing. And I believe that one of the things we're doing in this season of fasting and prayer is to do exactly that. To just have a sense of what God wants to do and what God is doing amongst us. Don't look back at the past. Don't look at the pain. Look at the promise and the purpose that God has called us into. To help you with that, the, the little reflections that we're putting every day are based on our vision booklet. So um, just to encourage you to see the vision and, and pray about it and see it worked out in your life. Okay. I just believe that that is time. In this time of transition to put the past behind us, to move into the new by looking up and looking around at what God is doing. I want to finish on this. So just take me a few moments, three things to leave with you as we take the next step into and through this season of prayer and fasting. Look at the last verse with me. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. First of all, there was trees, there was a tent, and there was an altar. First of all, trees. He lived by the trees. The trees of Mamre were a famous uh, grove of oak trees near Hebron. And the trees remind us of the transformed world 
that we've been called to be a part of, that we've been called to bring in, that God is going to do through us. Remember, the river flows, wherever the river flows, there is life. We transform the wilderness into a garden, and the trees are for the healing of the nations. And remember, Alison has taught us about the trees where the, the birds come and perch and the branches and the, and the wild animals come and nestle in its shade. It reminds you of the tree. And can I say this? Wherever you live, whatever you're doing in your everyday world, Get some near some trees. Get near some constant reminders of what it is we've been called into. We've been called to be world transformers. But I would just say this. The trees were near Hebron. And Hebron means community. That's what it means. This is not just for any solo heroes. This is for a community that's going to do this. Yes, yes, we, yes, it is in your everyday world, yet it is in your workplace, but it's as a community that we bring this transformation. So you can't do this alone. You have to be part of the community of God's people. Secondly, there's a tent. Oh, I've, I'd like just very, very quickly to say with about Hebron. Every time I look, I smile every time I look at the word Hebron, the place Hebron in the Bible, because I remember a little place called Hebron Hall. When I was a little boy, opposite our primary school, there was a little church. It must have been a brethren church. And it was called Hebron Hall. And I always remember it. I went there as a little kid. I must have only gone a few times before they kicked me out. Because um, I was a naughty little boy in Isaac primary school. I got kicked out of the Cubs and the Scouts. Um, and I got kicked out of this little church. But, um, so, <laughs> I know some of you are going to pray for rejection for me now, I know. But, uh, but I always remember it because, you know what? It was just a dusty little hall. It's just a little hall, just faithful people trying to minister to the children. But I tell you, who knows what seeds of the kingdom were sown in that dusty little church hall opposite my primary school. <laughs> anyway, I just got excited when I think of Hebron. Okay, so trees, get near reminders of the purpose of God has called you into. Secondly, the tent. Recognize that we're called to a life of pilgrimage. We're always on the move. We never, ever settle. So if some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, oh, we've got through this phase, that's okay now. Perhaps we can just relax a little bit now and put our feet up. Forget about it. Forget about it. We are called to be pilgrims. Constantly, uh, you know, we pitch our tents and then what, what's the opposite? We pitch our tents. Strike. Strike our tents, whatever. Strike camp. And move on. Okay? We, it, it is those who set their hearts on pilgrimage who transform the wilderness into a garden. They make it a place of springs. And, I, and Jeanette, I want to encourage you. If you I've, I've put the poem that you've shared with some of us onto the blog. Alison read it last week. Please read it again next week when you're preaching for us. Jeanette, because it's great. It's disturb us, O oh Lord. Never let us settle. Remind us of the adventure that you've called us into. So remember the trees, remember the tent. And finally, the altar. Remember the altar. The altar, of course, is the place of worship. But it's also the place of sacrifice. It's a, it's a place where on our journey we say to God, Lord, this is before you and for you. It's all about you. It's not about me. It's not about my greatness. It's not about my achievement. It's all about you. Because worship is not just a song raised up. It's a life laid down. And it's where we lay down our lives for the purposes of God. And you know, I sh- when I first shared about altars, I said many times the altars were built, well, they were always built out of unhewn rocks, rocks just found on the ground. And sometimes those rocks were produced by volcanic, seismic kind of eruptions, and sometimes they're produced by the grind. It's the same for us, the things that have happened in our life, which have produced rocks, seismic events, and sometimes it's just the grind of life. But we build 
an altar to God with those things. The pain, the disappointment. We bring it before God and we build an altar. And where there's been relationship problems, we deal with that before God because God says, don't bring your gift to the altar until you've first been reconciled. So we bring all that to God. But whatever terrain you're in, whether it's the mountain or the valley, the rocky places or the green lush pastures, we build an altar to the Lord. We say, Lord, my life is laid down for you. And I think there's a second thing. Well, there's more than two things, but here's a second thing I want to say that this period of prayer and fasting is about. It's about our own personal transformation. Somebody once said, when you go to the altar, expect to be altered. (laughs) When you go to the altar, expect to be altered. Expect God to do a transforming work in you. Because there are things, I prophesied this this morning, there are things of the old you cannot bring into the new. And it's at the altar where you lay them down. Uh, Whether that's attitudes, whether it's mindsets, whether it's relationship problems, or whether it's even good things that are just for a season and now it's time for something else. You lay it all at the altar before the Lord. So this is a period of, yes, look up and look around at what God's calling us into and what God is already doing among us. But it's also a place at the altar where God transforms us. I would say this, if you're fasting, one thing you can expect, as Alison said last week, it isn't all hunky-dory. Stuff rises up in you. You see things about yourself. But God doesn't do that to judge you or condemn you. He does it so let's get real. So we can deal with that. And I can bring out the gold that's within you. It's that all of that happens at the altar.